This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Moretti. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Melissa, this is the first time you've had the cans on. Yeah, this (laughs) is my very first time with the cans on. That's that's accurate. So we should say, Adam is away. He just had a baby, right? So we are congratulating him. Sabrina had a a baby. Sabrina had a baby. This is, I gotta, I gotta get this right. Sabrina had a baby. Happy, healthy. He's off for at least the next three days. You're taking a spot. And Melissa, you've been on the team now for a while. Yeah, it's been about a year that I've joined you guys, although I was an avid podcast listener for many years before that. So how does it feel? How does it feel <laughs> to finally be on I, the You mic? know, I feel like I've made it, really. This is, this is an honor. It's or just an up honor. the stairs to the studio. <laughs> just up the stairs, one flight. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, it's great having you here. I'm sure a lot of listeners have actually, uh, who have reached out over the last year, have probably had conversations with you about the market. So you're a familiar voice to many. But before we move forward here, we should say Dustin Woodhouse, past guest fan favorite, president of Mortgage Architects, is back on the show. And this, this is a good one because Dustin comes on. Let me back up and I'll explain the story here. First of all, it's nice to check in with Dustin every six months to a year, uh, just to see what's going on in the mortgage market. He has over 2000 brokers under him across the country. So he's the guy to speak to and he's a very bright guy, but there's been so many headlines lately about kind of the mortgage marketing in crises. And we had, you know, yesterday, uh, Wednesday, we had the 75 basis point increase in the U S and now talks of that happening in Canada in July. And, uh, you know, I just thought, we got to get Dustin back on. Yeah, and Dustin breaks it down. He breaks down the headlines. He he really picks apart, you know, the numbers behind the big, you know, scary looking headline. That, that's it. He. I feel like uh, if there's one takeaway from this entire conversation, it's uh, do the math. And Dustin does the math and it's a great conversation for it. So stay tuned for that. Before we get to uh, Dustin, no, Melissa. Rentals.ca just sent out an email with the latest rental numbers. We've been talking about how rents have skyrocketed over the last six months and how how tight the rental market is in Vancouver. Just out of curiosity, I'm just going to put you on the spot here. I put Adam on the spot a couple of weeks back. What do you think year over year, how, how much are rents up just average in the city of Vancouver across the board? Percentage-wise. Percentage-wise. Okay, well, full disclosure, I'm not an expert on this, not a property manager. You're not a property manager. (laughs) But But you do work with lots of investors. uh, I absolutely do. I like to, okay, let me see here. I'm going to say in Vancouver over the The past year. city of Vancouver. May to May. May to May. I'm going to go with 19%. 19%. Interesting. So one thing I'm thinking here is May to May is we were still fairly deep in COVID last May. 
You're way low, 33%. Ooh. 33% year over year. The average one bedroom. Let's see. I think you're going to be closer on this one. Average one bedroom. Okay. In the city of Vancouver. In the city of Vancouver. I'm going to say 2100 a month. $2,377. Okay. A little low okay. on that. Uh, average two bed. I was going to say 3200 but now that I know I'm a little low, I'm going to go with 35 you know what? If this was the price right, you'd be, you would lose. Uh, it's 3495 You're very close, but unfortunately you overshot. Uh, but uh, Vancouver has outpaced every other market across uh, the country. North Van is second. So Vancouver's 33% up year over year. North Van's 31%. And the other market that they mention is Richmond, only 14%. So if you're a renter, uh, I think Richmond is the place to be looking right now if you're looking for a deal, but it's tough out there, I think, no matter where you go in Metro Vancouver, which is, which is unfortunate. But um, I don't know, anything else, Melissa, or should we, we, this is actually a long conversation with Dustin. Yeah, let's cut to it. Dustin Woodhouse, president of Mortgage Architects. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam, with 165 homes ranging from junior one-beds to three-beds. Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, we're here with Past guest, fan favorite, Dustin Woodhouse, president of Mortgage Architects. How you doing, Dustin? Not too bad, not too bad, Matt and Melissa. Good to be, good to be with you guys. Yeah, no, thanks as always, Dustin, for taking the time to come on the show. Maybe for listeners who have not heard your past episodes, can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, I, I, I think I come across in the mortgage industry as a man that does not have a, a lot of hobbies. Because <laughs> uh, I, I tend to eat, sleep, and breathe all things mortgage related. I was a very uh, a very active mortgage broker for for a decade, from about 2018 uh, back to 2008. Interestingly, I started uh, in the fields uh, in real estate finance, basically the week the federal government stepped in and said no more zero down purchases, no more 40 year amortization. Uh, rates were plummeting. The market was tanking. Everything was going to hell in a handbasket, uh, as they say, uh, in, in April of '08. And of course, that summer was indeed uh, a very challenging summer in our industry. So, 
I made it through that round, and uh, now we seem to be going into another very interesting round. So like I say, I had a lot of frontline experience through 20, 2008 to 2018, and then at that point, uh, pivoted a little bit, and am now the president of a mortgage brokerage, Mortgage Architects. And we've got 2,000 agents nationwide funding about $18 billion in total mortgage volume. And we are still on a growth trajectory this year, year to date, right up to today. So, so far, we're still uh, trending the right way against the market, generally speaking. But that's the company, not the uh, purchase market we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right. Going after market share. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, if if we're headed into a, a time when broker market share or broker production levels, let's say, are going to soften, well, then, you know, internally from a corporate perspective, we solve for that by adding more brokers. Right, right. Just taking a bit of a step back, I, I think everybody who listens to, sh- to, to this show is probably following along to what's going on in the mortgage market and the real estate market more generally. But maybe as an opening question, what is going on and who should be scared? Homeowners, home sellers, <laughs> home buyers, renters, industry professionals, all of the above or none of the above? Who should be scared? I, I mean, I think the media is certainly doing a great job of, of ensuring that everyone feels like they should be scared. Um, I, I mean, I can't even make this up. I actually just received an email about an hour ago from a delightful person that I worked with a few years ago. And in a nutshell, this is somebody who works a standard you know, job. So picture your proverbial school teacher, nurse, firefighter, police officer, you know, so sort of a core role, very stable employment, Mm -hmm. a solid income, not the kind of income one can typically purchase a home on their own with anymore in the lower mainland. But that's okay because most cops, nurses, teachers, and firefighters marry one another, and then they have that dual income. And of course, that's a bit of a callback to past conversations where I've said, you know, the market has largely been driven by regular people. It, it really has. It isn't. It hasn't been a case of multimillionaires for the most part uh, purchasing these properties and driving the market. But at this point, I've got this email from one such person in in, in one of these types of roles who's gotten divorced and managed to keep the home, and they have a very reasonable mortgage. In fact, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to give any details away as it would identify this person, but they're in a home that's valued in today's numbers at about 1.8 million and they have a $400,000 mortgage and their payment is 1800 a month. They're not up for renewal for three years. So their payment is not changing for three more years. Nothing is changing. And the value of the property since their divorce has increased by $900,000. So they're $900,000 more wealthy, further ahead of the game than they were when they took the mortgage out. But they are now, they're sending me an email with the header titled Mortgage Panic and in the body of it saying they're losing sleep at night for fear of what's going to come in May of 2025. (laughs) 
you know, I, I haven't had an opportunity to, to to give this person a call back. I'm going to, and I'm going to have a conversation with them. But, you know, it, it's it's a fascinating time when you have people with million dollar plus net worths, solid employment that's not going anywhere, a payment that isn't changing for three years, losing sleep, sending emails to someone like myself titled Mortgage Panic. And, uh, and and the stress that they can't get anyone at the bank to tell them what's going to happen in the future. And that's what I think everybody wants. But uh, as one of my favorite billionaire hedge fund managers, uh, I was going to say favorite authors, he has written phenomenal books, Ray Dalio says, uh, those who live by the crystal ball are destined to eat ground glass. So, you know, trying to make predictions about the future is just unwise. And and so this is my really long way of saying, I don't think anywhere near the amount of people who are scared should be scared. And really, your your long list of different people who could be scared, I think it should really come down to people who are feeling like they're going to be forced to sell in the next, say, six to 24 months. You know, there, there, there's a lot of conversation about us heading into a bit of a dip. And certainly uh, across the country, that, that is bearing out uh, differently in some markets. It's almost street by street, though, as you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, real estate is like the weather. It's very localized. It might be raining on the other side of the street, but on this side, it's actually quite sunny. And so the people who bought, you know, in February or March of this year, and who maybe really stretch themselves and not stretch themselves from their own definition of their own comfort level. Uh, Like I've I've got a gentleman who is concerned. He stretched himself. He still has an $800,000 liquid portfolio of investments. And he has a $4,000 a month mortgage payment, which is not any, any, any joke, but he feels like he stretched himself because he's only got $800,000 left liquid capital. He feels stretched. He's not stretched. That's ridiculous. Right. If you genuinely reached into your couch for nickels and dimes and quarters and, and then scraped up a few pennies and, and you you are completely broke, you've just closed on a property that you bought at the very peak in February or March, and you have no no shortfall, or, pardon me, no um, backstop, right? You've got no cushion, You've got no cash left over, all the savings. And that's a very common thing for people in their 20s and 30s who are first-time homebuyers. So there's a lot of first-time homebuyers. Now, they don't necessarily need to be scared or worried unless they're desperately wanting to quit their job. They hate their job. Or unless they're in a role that genuinely looks threatened somehow, like their job may not exist soon. But then again, when you look at the employment numbers, we are at all-time record highs. So right now, nobody seems to need to be scared about losing their job. If you're not losing your job, you're not losing your income. They shouldn't be worried about making your mortgage payments. So I don't know that there's really a lot of people who need to be scared, again, other than somebody who gets boxed into a position where they have to sell in six months, something that they just bought three months ago, because that may not be a great metric. But if you bought seven years ago, if you bought three years ago, 
Heck, if you bought one year ago, arguably, if you bought six or seven months ago and you had to sell today, you're walking away with a profit. So that's not necessarily something to be scared about. Uh, but then again, where are you going to live? You've had past guests just recently in some of your episodes talking about the rental market. Like that's a difficult market to be in. Mm-hmm. Like the grass is not greener on the other side. You know, as a, as a homeowner, there are a lot different worries than you have as a tenant. So, you know, and, and most of us would not. How does the old saying go? If we all put all of our problems into one big pot in the middle of the table, most of us would choose to take our problems back out of the pot. We wouldn't take someone else's. But I, I, you know, I don't think there's a lot of homeowners that wish they were home renters. Yeah. And in fact, I just spoke with a woman who just moved back to Vancouver from the U.S. and is looking for a studio or one bedroom downtown. And she said the prices have gone up a couple hundred dollars in the last months. And it's nearly impossible to, you know, with a well-paid job, ready to go. She can't find a place. So she's actually looking to buy now. So yeah, the rental market is exceedingly tough. And the rental market's not going to get any easier because the January 1st, 2018 introduction of the stress test took about 35% of the purchasing power away from Canadians. It handcuffed a lot of Canadians by about 35% as far as total financing. And some might say that's a good thing. And, uh, and I may even agree with them going into what we're going into. It's doing nothing for the fear, right? Like the, the reality checks just aren't there. People are terrified. It's like, well, what are you terrified of? Well, my interest rates doubled over the past, you know, three months. Yeah, from 1.25 to 2.5, and you stress tested at five and a quarter percent. Like your your effective interest rate isn't even half of what your income was stress tested against to qualify for this mortgage. And you qualified for two thirds of the total mortgage money you could have had in 2017. So anybody who's bought since January 1st of 2018 or refinanced, I mean, they are arguably in a very safe position from a debt to income perspective and from the ability to debt service those payments. But humans don't do math. We don't like math. So we just hear interest rates are doubling and we assume the payment doubles, which is patently false. That's not how the math works. If the interest rate doubles, your payment goes up by 25%. And for most people, 70% of Canadians are in a fixed rate mortgage. So their interest rate doubling is four, three, two, one year away mm-hmm. from even being a thing. And it isn't one year away because four years ago, people were signing three and a quarter percent, five-year fixed mortgages. And now they're going to come up for renewal and interest rates are going to be up about a third, not a hundred percent. They're going to be up by 30%, which means their payment is going to go up about 10%. Well, what do you need to offset a 10% increase in the mortgage payment? Over the last five years, did these people get about a 0.7% raise annually? Yes, they did. The majority of people are certainly making more than 4 or 5% greater income than they did in 2017, 2018. So there's all this fear. You know, the headlines, of course, just last week, mortgage payments could increase by 45%. Okay, and not one news article actually explained the formula. So the mortgage payment could rise by 45%. What actually triggers that? 
your interest rate tripling. If you're currently coming up for renewal and you're in a three and a quarter percent mortgage right now, you are not renewing at 9.75. Your interest rate is not tripling. Your mortgage payment is not going up by 45%. So this doesn't apply to you. So it's a Mm non-issue. If you're in a 2% rate that you took last year, okay, four years from now, if interest rates are at 6%, if they may, they may not be, they may not be anywhere near that. We may go up in the next year and it may come right back down a year later. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But if four years from now, your 2% mortgage comes up for renewal and the rates of the day are 6%, then yes, your mortgage payment would go up by 45%. People, again, they just stop right there and, and react. No, 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 no. Is it conceivable that you will get a 3% raise per year between now and that renewal? If yes, that raise after tax actually covers the difference in the mortgage payment. That's all it takes. And current wage inflation numbers are running at 3.9 annually. And of course, there's exceptions to every rule. There's a listener right now saying, well, I didn't get a 4% raise last year. <laughs> We're looking and, at you know, Melissa. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no. Well, and, and, and okay, so, so, so you know what? Let's, 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 let's run with so, Melissa, what I would say to you is what my father said to me. Get your act together, kid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I've been told. <laughs> like, like are, are, so, Melissa, are you 4% better? Are you 4% smarter? Are you 4% faster than you were last year? I like to think so. So why aren't you getting paid 4% more? I mean, I might be. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. And, and that applies to people not just in a, in a commission role, but it does apply to people in a salary position or an hourly position. Those are real conversations that you can have with an employer today. So I recently put a post out and I said, well, how to beat inflation, the number one best thing to invest in, in a declining market, an inflationary environment, yourself. Love so that. be better. Yeah. Right? Like, just be better, either at what you're doing or what you want to be doing. Like, be better. And we are at full employment. Employers can't get staff. Right now, the number one fear any boss has is their staff leaving. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a really tough time for bosses who suck. Right? Like, they, they, had, a, they had a ride for a while there. Or, you know, employment was an issue and you kept the job you had because you, you, you were worried about getting another job. That ship sailed. Now, man, if you're, if, you're, if you're a crappy employer, you're in for a world of pain. Like, your, your employees better love you. They better like working with you. And I say with you. They better not feel like they're working for you. They better feel like they're working with you. That, that's important. So, you know, as we say, the, the opening question, who should be scared, right? Fear. Nobody. Who is scared? Everybody. <laughs> you know, I, I wake up the odd morning at four o'clock in the morning, which is not my normal time to wake up, and my wheels start turning. Have I, I made a huge mistake buying, buying this house? And have I made a huge mistake writing an offer on another property? And am I about to make a huge mistake if I buy a third property? Like, you know, is that a huge mistake? And then I have to talk myself off the ledge. No. So can we talk a little bit about that? Because I know the 45% increase that came as I, as I read as much of the stuff, I think as you, I'm a sucker for the clickbait. That was bank. That was Tiff Macklin, wasn't it? It was a, it was a, the bank of Canada made that comment about 45% increases. 
I believe that was the Bank of Canada. But then there's been others, right? Like Manulife just had a survey where one in four <laughs> homeowners will have to sell if interest rates go up was the headline. I saw, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on this and, and what was the cause, but uh, a private mortgage lender, Magenta, has put all lending on hold, presumably because they see risk in the Canadian housing market <laughs> that they, they don't want to take on. What, what, do you, what is yeah. driving all of, apart from the media kind of bad news leads and, uh, and the scarier the headline, the better, what is going on? Well, let's unpack the three things that you just talked about. The 45% payment increase, which I touched on earlier. The one in four, you know, forced to sell Manulife uh, survey. And, uh, and then the private lender not putting money up. So let's unpack each of those. The first one, I, I don't believe it actually was the Bank of Canada that made any such statement. It was during the Bank of Canada's announcement, some of the media took things away and basically phrased it that way. They, they took bits and pieces of what was said and said, well, you know, they're worried about highly indebted households. They're worried about the ones who took these record low rates. And if they took these record low rates in a five-year fixed mortgage and a one point, or let's use 2% to use your math, somebody with a 2% five-year fixed in 2021 comes up for renewal in 2026 and rates are at 6%, that would mathematically increase people's payments by 45%. So I don't think it was the Bank of Canada that exactly spelled that out. It was it was somebody doing part of the math, but only the part that scares you. Your payments could go up 45%. Whoa, like that's it. And and as I've as I've said, okay, they could if interest rates triple from whatever your current mortgage contract is. They could go up 45%, but a 3% annual raise will compensate for that. You will actually have after tax enough money in your hands to cover a 45% increase in your mortgage payment. And wage inflation is currently tracking at 3.9%. Now, I recognize there are people who will not benefit from the averages in there. And then and there could be scenarios where people are going to really struggle with that. But the number one thing, a key point I would make, the number one thing we should never, ever underestimate is the Canadian propensity to never miss a mortgage payment. I, I, th yeah, I think we've talked about this before, but can you, can you say a little bit more about that? Well, if I'm sitting in a home uh, of my own with a car or two in the driveway that are financed, with some furniture that was financed, uh, with an unsecured line of credit, with a $10,000 MasterCard balance. If I'm sitting in a home and that's my scenario. And, you know, that scenario may not at all be because of poor planning or loose spending. I don't believe that's the Canadian mindset either. It could be that at a certain point in time, it made sense to do these things. And maybe we had two incomes, but now there's only one income and there's all these debts. If that's the situation and, and interest rates triple and my mortgage payment is going to go up by 45% and I haven't got the raises I needed to get and, 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 and. So all these things are piling on. What's the first payment I'm going to not make? It's going to be the minimum payment on my credit card. I'm going to not make that payment. What are the next payments I'm not going to make? They're going to be 
the furniture. You know, when I come repo my furniture, come repo my furniture. I'll get some new stuff off Facebook Marketplace or I'll, I'll take the furniture out of my parents' basement. What's the next thing? One of the cars. The car I don't like the, the most. The one, the one that's my least favorite to drive. Then that, then that one's going to go away. Then the next vehicle. In other words, there's going to be a lot of, you know, meat cut away before we get to the bone. And the bone is the mortgage payment. Canadians know that their mortgage follows them to their grave. In basically every province in Canada, they are full recourse loans, meaning you don't throw the keys on the desk and walk away. You owe that money. If there's a shortfall on the sale of a property and foreclosure, you owe that money to the lender. They'll get it through garnishing your wages. And never mind that, if you miss a mortgage payment, you are basically not getting another mortgage anytime soon from any mainstream lender. And Canadians know these things. So not only do we have a stress test that really filters out a lot of people, like you, you, you're not buying a house if you have debt. You have impeccable credit. You have a down payment. You have a great employment. You have to check a lot of boxes to qualify for a mortgage these days. In particular, a variable rate mortgage. And you're stress tested at five and a quarter percent. And what are we talking about? A 6% rate, barely above what you were stress tested for five years earlier. So as I say, it's a headline designed to create fear. It did it. You know, all the brokers I, I know, and I know a lot, their inboxes blew up, their phones are blowing up. Oh my gosh, what's happening? And ironically, mostly blowing up with people who do not have a mortgage renewal for three to four years. But they're worried today. And that's, that's unfortunate. And that leads to the next point that you made. And, and the, the key point I'd make around that one is your own phrasing in there. One in four Canadians will have to sell. That's not actually what that study said. What that study was, was a polling of Manulife Bank clients, presumably, on how they felt about the market. And in April, they felt like if there were additional interest rate hikes, they would be forced to sell. I think they will sell. Nobody's saying they will sell, other than the people speculating that if rates go up further, they may be forced to sell. Well, why? Why? Seven out of 10 of you are in fixed rate mortgages. Your payment's not changing for years. Who cares what the Bank of Canada does? What's that got to do with anything? Mm -hmm. but, but people don't understand that. They think there's going to be some kind of immediate knock-on effect in their life, and there isn't. So in a world where three out of four people are in a fixed-rate mortgage, okay, maybe it's the other one in four. Well, no, because actually a solid 80% plus of that remaining 25% of, of homeowners in variable-rate mortgages, they're in a variable-rate mortgage, not an adjustable-rate mortgage. And a variable-rate mortgage has a static payment through the term. So even though the Bank of Canada has been moving interest rates around, the overwhelming majority of variable rate mortgage holders are not seeing any change to their payment. Now, the composition of the payment is changing. It's more interest and less principal, and their amortization is increasing moderately. It's not increasing by five years or 10 years. It's increasing by a few months. So there's some subtle changes there, but their payment, their cash flow situation hasn't changed. So again, why would any of them be forced to sell? It makes no sense. So you're down to maybe 
5% of mortgage holders who are in adjustable rate mortgages, whose interest rate went from a net of, say, 1.25 to now 2.5, who were stress tested at 5.25%. And let's put some dollars on it. $100,000 household income, that allowed these people to purchase a home with a $500,000 mortgage. $100,000 household income gets you a $5,000 mortgage. The payment was, at one point, ridiculously low. It was about $1,850. Well, that's gone up now to about $2,250. So it's about $400 a month. But that $100,000 household income, that's $6,000 after tax every month. So out of that $6,000 after tax, their mortgage payments gone from $1,850 to $2,250. They still have $3,750 a month left over to live on. And they were stress tested as if their mortgage payment was, in fact, closer to $3,000 a month, because that's what it would be at five and a quarter percent. So they're nowhere near the stress tested limit. They still have significant leftover cash. And by the way, the example I just gave you is the tax bracket of a single earner at 100000 If we're talking about households composed of two people making 50 or one making 70 and the other making 30, they have even more cash left over because it's a totally different tax bracket, right. a lower tax bracket. So when you really get into it and you talk about the math of all of this, the danger of, of mass listings isn't there. And that survey was done in April. Well, here we are in June. Are listings up 20, 50, 100%? No. Are one in four Canadians currently putting their home on the market? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no. Right, right? No. I mean, they're not. Because it begs the question, okay, Matt, you're going to put your house on, uh, on the market because uh, your mortgage payment went from 1850 to 2250 All right. Then what? You're going to buy another one? That doesn't make any sense. Clearly, you're getting out of the home ownership. You're going to become a renter. Well, what are you renting for twenty two fifty a month? Probably not studio. what you're living in, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Yeah, you're you're probably renting something either comparable to or slightly less than uh, what you're currently living in, and now. 100% of that rent is money just gone forever. Whereas previously, your mortgage payment was at an all-time record high for paydown. A solid 75 cents of every dollar is paying the mortgage balance down. It's, it's an incredible time to have a mortgage in your life. You know, that, that $500,000 mortgage uh, example at renewal, it's 425000 those people have built $75,000 more net worth, more equity. And odds are, five years from now, where do most of the people who pay attention to this stuff believe prices will be? They will be right back at the peaks we just saw, if not higher. And that may seem difficult to imagine in the face of rising rates, and all this bad news and everything else. But why are rates going up? They're going up because of supply chain problems and energy costs. That's why. Well, what do supply chain uh, problems and energy costs result in? They result in the cost of new construction being very high. They result in projects being canceled or delayed. I shouldn't say canceled. 
But the higher interest rates combined with the supply chain problems, combined with the employment challenges we're having, overemployment, like full employment, combined with the energy costs, have major developers pressing pause on development, meaning they're not bringing more supply online. Mm -hmm. Yet we still have 450,000 people per year coming to the country, 100,000 of them coming into BC, and we're adding, what, 3,000 purpose-built rentals per year in BC for 100,000 people coming into the province? Where are they all going to live? That is going to result in upward pressure on prices. So, you know, I, 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 I cry for the, the, the one in 100 or whatever the real number is, who actually sell their home, thinking that's the right move. Certainly, uh, I say this as somebody who is you know, basically born and raised in Vancouver. You don't get off the property train in Vancouver just because it's slowing down, just because it seems like it might start to slide backwards. You don't get off that train because that train has never, ever failed to restart, kick back into high gear and take off again. So we got to get to number three here. <laughs> but but sound advice, Dustin. But so we got a private mortgage company who's putting lending yeah. on hold. What's what's your take until the fall? So they're they're not well, they're not uh, putting any new loans out. So behind the scenes, the majority of private lending companies have actually had an extremely difficult time getting money to actually put out. Not that they're having a difficult time getting money period. They're having a difficult time getting enough money because the demand has been so high, record high. So there's been more demands in private lending than ever before. And this is, to be clear, we should take this opportunity to make very clear the difference between a private lender and a mortgage investment corporation. Because mortgage investment corporations get lumped under this heading private lender, which is not fair. A mortgage investment corporation is a regulated entity. They have a board of directors, typically. There's a number of different players involved in the decision-making. And, and they pay a very nice return out to investors, steady Eddie, for you know, decades in a lot of cases. So a mortgage investment corporation, that, that's its own sort of kettle of fish. And yes, there are mortgage investment corporations that have paused lending from time to time or turn down otherwise fantastic applications purely because they have all their money out. Mm -hmm. They might have a 20 million, a 50 million, they might have a hundred million dollars to play with, but it's all out because the demand has been that high. And the other thing you're seeing is not so much private lenders or, or mortgage investment corporations. And then to finish that explanation, a private lender that description is more apt when it's Uncle Larry. You know, it's John Smith. It's Susan Robinson, like that's making up generic names. Joe Sixpack, Mary Sixpack, lending money. Right. That's a private lender. And one should always be very, very cautious getting into a private mortgage. And also, you want to read your paperwork carefully when you're getting into a, a mortgage with a mortgage investment corporation. Mortgage investment corporations, having investors, shareholders, boards, regulation, they tend to have much clearer policies and procedures, in particular around renewal and early payout. And that's what you want to see is clarity around 
paying this thing off early or needing to renew it for another year or two or three? What does that look like? The private lenders, you know, the individual loaning you the individual money, these are the most risky for the borrower because there's rarely the level of clarity and the guarantee on a renewal that's needed. Mm-hmm. People always think they're going to get you know, their problems fixed inside 12 months. Very rarely does that happen. It often takes 24 months, 18 months, 24, 36 months. I've been working on mine for 42 years. <laughs> there you go, right? There you go. And, uh, and that is where we see a lot of challenges because it wasn't spelled out clearly. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. And just to be clear, I think I was the one who misspoke. Magenta, of course, is a, a mortgage investment corporation, just to be clear, because I did name them, I think, in the in the question. And, and and we won't say you misspoke. I mean, it, it's common vernacular to just lump mortgage investment corporations or MIX, as the acronym goes, uh, under the heading private lender. But we're in the, the industry, we're really trying to tease these two entities apart because their business practices are not reflective of one another's business practices. They just aren't. And uh, the exit strategy is everything, right? I mean, whether you're whether you're borrowing when you're borrowing money from any entity at any rate with any fees the exit strategy is always critical how am i paying this off and maybe i'm paying this lender off with proceeds from another lender maybe that's what's going to happen but am i going to qualify with this other lender you know what do i need to do 
to get myself straightened up so that I do qualify with this other lender that will offer me a lower rate and will pay out the higher rate lender. And can I do those things inside 12 months, which is a typical term on a private mortgage? Those are, those are key questions to ask yourself. But, but going back to those three points you highlighted, you know, those are three things that are pumped out there in the headlines designed to create fear. It's all about creating fear. That is all I literally see. And maybe it's because it's all I'm looking for at this point. No, I, I feel like I, that's I, all I, I see as well. And I'm trying to avoid it. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, that, and that's the number one solution I, I say to folks. Like, you know, put down your phone. Walk away from the Facebook feed. Walk away from the, the news. Like, turn off your TV. Disconnect the cable. I sold my TV. I got rid of all my streaming services. Like I'm, I'm out. <laughs> and when I say I'm out, I mean, I'm literally out. I'm outside. I went for a two and a half hour mountain bike ride yesterday from seven 30 till 10, like way better than sitting on the couch, watching TV, God forbid, watching the news. And I don't need to watch the news. I get my Google alerts. I catch the crazy headlines. And then why do I do that to myself? Well, because I know I need to do it so I can do the real math and I can explain to people why, Yesterday's headline, today's headline, and guess what? Probably tomorrow's headline is nonsense. What are you seeing on the ground right now from your brokers? What what type of stuff are you hearing from them that's happening, you know, in your industry? Everything is happening across the board. So <laughs> there, there's actually still, as they say, pockets of communities where properties are getting more than one offer and they're selling within single digit days. So that's still a thing that's happening. Clients are still coming to brokers and saying, hey, we got engaged and uh, we're, we're getting married in uh, three months. And uh, it's our, our family tradition that uh, we're going to be given a down payment to buy a home. So we want to buy something. And of course, the, a lot of the brokers are sitting there going, oh, geez, guys, why didn't you come to me four months ago when rates were rock bottom and they've gone up so much? But the clients don't really realize that. And the clients tend to say, well, so, so what are the payments going to be? Like, what's it going to look like? Like, we're getting this down payment. We want to start a family. We want to buy a property. We want that stability. We want that emotional stability for our future family. So what does it look like? And you do the math at today's rates and they say, okay, great. Thank you. And they go get a realtor and they go and they start looking like new household formation is still happening. Mm -hmm. It is. But what isn't happening right now and why we're seeing a bit of a cooler spring market is uh, somebody in a position maybe like my own, where I already own a house, but you know, maybe I'd like a little better view, maybe I'd like a little longer driveway. Maybe I had a bigger yard with a pool in it. Now maybe, maybe I should look around a little bit. Maybe I should drive up the hill further and see if there's something for sale up there. And yeah, maybe it's going to cost me another two or three hundred thousand dollars to make that. I'm fifty years old. I've paid my dues. I'm working like a maniac. I can afford an extra couple hundred thousand dollars. I should do that. Well, people in that position are kind of going, maybe not. Maybe I'm okay where I am. Maybe I don't need that longer driveway. Maybe I should just stay put for a year. Maybe I should just see what happens. And I think that's who stepped out of the spring market. Were your move-up buyers that were really just looking at moving up? Uh, because. Because they could. Right. And, 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 
And that kind of circles back to the the, the uh, individual I was describing at the beginning of the conversation. Good employment, lots of equity, great credit, probably could actually make a move up, but is so freaked out about where things are going to be three years from now that they're losing sleep. They're not going out and looking right now and making a move, you know, whereas a year ago they might have. You know what? That actually captures a lot of what we're seeing right now. Absolutely. I feel like the listings, like, it's funny, the listings are actually down. It, maybe the, the, and in Vancouver, at least, like, there's still a decent number of buyers out there. We're still seeing multiple offers on, on good product. But what I've noticed more than anything right now is we kind of sold all our listings and now there's no more listings to be had. And that's abnormal. Right. We're in a moment where it feels like, yeah, people are just kind of settling, hunkering down. But also you have to keep in mind, and, and this is, you know, talk about maybe burying the lead in a way here, however, however many minutes we are into this conversation. I almost should have put this in my bio in my intro. So I am an optimist. I love people. I like working with people and I love real estate. And and I, and I like it because I can touch it. I can understand it. It's not confusing to me. It's not the blockchain. Uh, it's not, you know, it doesn't involve having a conversation with a crypto bro. Like, I understand <laughs> real estate. I get it. And worst case, I can live in it. You know, like, so it's not really a financial investment the first time around. It's an investment in emotional stability. It's, it's well, I, I love all of that about real estate is collectively what we're doing as a society is we're placing a bet. When we take a mortgage, when we buy a property, we're placing a bet on our country. We're saying that we believe that we have political stability, the rule of law, property rights ensue, uh, human rights exist. Like we're safe, we're secure, and we should invest. And not only should we invest every last penny we have, <laughs> you know, when you're a first time home buyer, we should borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars as well because we believe in the stability of the banking system we're borrowing it from, and we should make a home in this country. That's what draws the immigration to Canada we get. And people should absolutely understand that Canada gets the wealthiest and the most talented, the most skilled, the most highly educated immigrants of any country in the world. Like we attract the cream of the crop because we are so stable. So I, I love all of these things about real estate. And then, yeah, the next piece of it is that that second property or that third property. And that's where things get kind of interesting because it's become extremely difficult to become a mom and pop landlord. And that's kind of becoming a thing of the past. Like there's no, there's nowhere near the same number of up and coming mom and pop landlords as there used to be. Like there's a lot of our parents' generation. So I'm, I'm 50. So I'm going to say there's a lot of our parents' generation that did buy a second or a third property. Mm -hmm. And they did rent it out. And it did help them build for their own retirement. And they may have sold it. And, and whoever bought it may have actually been someone who's going to live in it, which is fine. That's not a bad thing at all. But my kids at 24 and 26 they're barely able to get on the property ladder to own something themselves. And there is zero chance they will qualify to purchase a rental property. 
So my kids' generation, like the, the millennials coming up, very few of them will be mom and pop landlords, comparatively speaking. And that is not good for our rental stock, right? That creates a fundamental challenge there. So it's not going to get any easier to buy. That's not about to, to change. But it's also not going to get any easier to rent. And now we're just basically boiling it all down to supply, supply, supply. But mm. how many how many of your guests bring that up? Basically, every single well, one. yeah. But it it has become. I mean, it was it seemed always clear. But I feel like, especially with, well, with the Broadway plan, we're at a, a crossroads here where uh, the city's city seems to be dying at a at a pretty quick pace here with people leaving and and just the we need more supply. It's become very clear to me, at least. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, supply is a good thing. You know, that construction of that supply creates employment, which is a good thing. And the addition of supply takes some of the upward pressure off rents, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, really reasonable rents are, are all I really ever want to see. I don't want to see unsustainably high rents at, at all. The other piece I was going to touch on there about why you're maybe not seeing the same amount of listings as you would see in the past is there's an awful lot of people who are handcuffed to their property now. They can't move. They no longer qualify for the mortgage they currently have. So we really saw that start to kick in in 2021. So it it all goes back to that stress test. So in 2017, I might have had a family come through with, say, $140,000 income who actually qualified to buy a million-dollar house with 10% down. They qualified for a $900,000 mortgage. Everybody thought they were crazy for buying that house with a basement suite, which the mortgage payment was around $4,000 a month on, but the suite rented for $1,800. So really, they're only paying $2,200 a month. And they got a $140,000 household income. So where's the issue? The issue now is maybe, unfortunately, they're becoming a statistic and getting divorced. So one of them wants to buy the family house out. They want that stability. They want to keep the kids in the same school catchment area, whatever it might be. And one of them maybe now makes $140,000 themselves. You know, the household income was one hundred forty that qualified for nine hundred. dollars Today, one of them alone makes one hundred forty. dollars Well, fantastic. They've never missed a mortgage payment. They have impeccable credit. Great. I'll just buy you out. Where's the problem? I'll take over the mortgage. Well, the problem is the stress test changed all those rules. So you don't qualify for 900 anymore. You qualify for six to 700. But how does that make any sense? And we had people who really got caught where they would actually enter into a sale contract. So they're in a firm sale. They've sold their home that they bought in, say, 2016, 15, 2017. And now in 2018, 19, 2021, they want to move across the street. A little bit better view. It's got the pool. It's the same price. They're moving the exact same mortgage over. Just port my mortgage. Famous last words. Well, you actually have to requalify under today's rules to port your mortgage. No problem. I make the same money. And heck, I make 10% more. I'm, well, it doesn't matter. You need to make like 50% more to qualify now for that same mortgage amount. And that just makes people's heads explode. And, uh, and I dealt with one family where they basically sold their home in Burnaby and had to buy in Maple Ridge. 
that's what the stress test did to them. You know, that, that, that's what the lack of understanding around what was happening did to their world. So they mm. both left the community they'd lived in for their entire lives and had to move 20 kilometers east because that was the new maximum mortgage amount they qualified for. They never would have sold if they'd known that. And they never would have missed a mortgage payment. But you have a lot of people now sitting in properties going, huh, I'd kind of like to to make a move, but I don't really qualify for enough of a mortgage to make a move. I, I don't qualify for the mortgage I have right now, even though I've never missed a payment, even though it's fine. Like I'm not even remotely stressed out. Like where's the issue? So that slowed the market down as well in a way. Right, right. So, Dustin, we're talking to timestamp it June 15th here. An hour or two ago, the Fed in the U.S. came out raising the, the rate 75 basis points, which I don't think was a huge surprise to anyone, at least people that had been talking about it this week. But it was 50 basis points, I think, was kind of baked in up until the, the latest inflation numbers. And now it seems like the Bank of Canada, there's an expectation they're going to do 75 basis points in July. What does the rest of 2022 look like on the rate front in your mind? And how does, how does it play out in, in the real estate market? Well, on, on this point, I've actually been lucky enough to have conversations with people vastly more accredited and intelligent than myself in, in this space and uh, vastly more experienced. So I will echo some of their sentiments, but just to protect the uh, the innocent, I, I won't name any of them. But household name economists, I just you know sometimes the the position that I'm in affords me some some amazing access. And uh, yeah, I've, I've had a couple really interesting conversations in the past week about this. And yes, increasingly and certainly after today's move, I think the majority would agree that a 0.75 hike on July 13th, the next Bank of Canada meeting, is imminent. Uh, you're certainly unlikely to see a hike you know, of 0.5 or, or lower. It's almost certainly going to be 0.75, uh, which will be unprecedented. But again, I guess these are the times we've been destined to live in permanently unprecedented on a regular basis. <laughs> uh, the word unprecedented is just becoming like a boring word to use right now. It, it basically just means today, yeah. um, right? So we're probably going to see that hike, but is that going to fix the problem? No, it's not going to fix the problem. There is not going to be any more Ford trucks showing up on the Ford dealership lot. There's not going to be any more coaches showing up at the furniture store because of a 75 basis point increase to interest rates, it will not fix anything in the supply chain uh, line at all. Uh, will that lower gas prices? No, it's got nothing to do with lowering gas prices. It will not lower energy prices. That's related to the war, you know, and the supply chain is related to the, the topic that doesn't even hardly make the news anymore, COVID. Mm -hmm. So COVID created the supply chain issues, not low rates. The war in the Ukraine is creating energy cost spikes, not low interest rates. So why do we think higher interest rates would fix this? Well, we don't. What's really going on, and this will be my, I'll, I'll take credit for this layman's opinion, um, although I did have it validated by people smarter than me, 
what really seems to be going on is an effort by the Bank of Canada to psychologically shock us into sort of lack of movement, to just put us all back on our heels so that we don't go down to the car dealership, down to the furniture store, out to the open house, and bid up the, the few that are available. Hopefully, we get so freaked out by these interest rate increases, which you know really don't impact a lot of people. Like really, when you actually ask people on a regular basis, how does an increase to the Bank of Canada's prime lending rate affect you personally? You're actually pretty hard pressed to find people who can say, well, because now X in my life costs more. Three out of four in fixed rate mortgages. So there's no mortgage change. The majority of the one in four are in a static payment variable rate mortgage. So there's no payment change there. The majority of homeowners don't have unsecured line of credit debt. In fact, most Canadians don't have unsecured line of credit debt. Uh, there may be a significant amount of credit card debt out there, but those interest rates have been flat at 20% forever. <laughs> right. They didn't drop. They're not going up. Like nothing's changed there. So who's this really impacting fundamentally? And then you have the compounded issue of $300 billion more collectively in Canadian bank accounts than there was pre-pandemic. So there's a lot of people with a lot more money than they once had who, you know what? They want the new truck. They want new furniture. So they're still going to go buy it. So what I'm really saying is this interest rate hike, uh, this you know, magnum size interest rate hike that's coming our way, it's not really going to fix any of these fundamental problems. The Bank of Canada knows that. They're just hoping it's going to freak us out a little bit so that we pause. And during that pause, maybe the war comes to an end. Maybe the supply chain starts to get things fixed. And maybe things just fix themselves. Because at a certain point, those increasing rates are going to grind the economy to a halt. And then what have we done? Well, what's worse, inflation or a recession? What's worse, having to give more of my ever-increasing paycheck up to ever-increasing gas pump prices or not having a paycheck at all? Like, who cares what the price of gas is if you don't have a paycheck? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. One last question for you, Dustin. We get this question all the time, but in your opinion, right now, would you take a fixed mortgage or variable? We ask you this every time you're on the show <laughs> and you've always given the same answer, but right now all seems right. particularly May interesting. Yep. Maybe it's a little different this time. Well, I, I, I closed on the house I'm sitting in in December, uh, just, just December of 2021, uh, so just recently. And, uh, and I went variable and I'm at prime minus 1.21. So I'm at a 2.49% interest rate right now. And and hey, absolutely, I, I liked being at, you know, 1.2. Yeah, I, I love being at 119 or whatever, the net rate, 124. I love being at 1.24. That was great. Uh, 2.49, uh, it's not like I'm losing sleep at night over that. That's still a ridiculously low interest rate. I'm still completely fine with my choice. I'm not even remotely considering locking in because that would be, effectively inflicting a two to two and a half percent rate hike on myself overnight. I'd sooner let the Bank of Canada do that to me slowly over time, maybe, 
rather than me doing it instantly for sure. So, so I am in a variable. I am not locking in. And I am actively shopping for a second property. I'm shopping for a property up in Whistler. I've decided I need to have a little bit more life in my life. So I want to try and buy something in Whistler. And if I were closing on that property today, tomorrow, next week, even July 14th after a three-quarter point hike, I would still go variable. I would. And I guess insert tagline here, right? Life is variable. Your mortgage should be too. Because who knows what's going to happen? Good things can happen. Bad things can happen. Values can go up. Values can go down. Incomes can go up. Incomes can go down. And I do not want to get caught with an interest rate differential penalty. And in particular, people who are taking a fixed rate mortgage right now are setting themselves up in such a way that if interest rates ease back slightly, the penalties to get out of those mortgages will be staggering. And of course, 10 out of 10 Canadians say, I'm not breaking my mortgage. No way, not me. Yet six out of 10 of them are wrong. Six out of 10 will break in an average of 33 months. No, you can't Google that stat. No, you can't find independent third-party verification of that stat on the internet. I'll tell you where you can find it. If you know somebody who works in finance at the bank, they will, you know, if you're buddies with them, they will tell you, yes, this is the fact. Like all mortgage lenders run very similar stats. Two out of three clients leave early at an average of 33 months because of life. You know, people always say, no, not me. Well, I mean, that's what 100% of people said when they got married. 50% of them wound up in a no way I'll ever be in that situation situation. So you just have to be cognizant of, of all these different variables in life. And, and, the, and the final thought I would leave, which again, probably would have been a great one to have right at the opening, maybe run this as the trailer to the episode. People, brokers, realtors, clients, Canadians alike, I mean, anyone and everyone, please stop persecuting yourself or others for a decision that you made when you're, you're persecuting yourself with today's information based on a decision you made yesterday with yesterday's information. I mean, there's a quote, which I actually, it probably wouldn't take me long to pull up from a Bank of Canada, Tiff Macklem speech, where it was just last year, where he said interest rates will be low for a long right, time. Right, rest well, easy. Well, Tiff, hey, what's up? right here it is our our message to canadians is that interest rates are very low and they're going to be there for a long time bank of bank of canada governor tiff macklin said in a speech july 20th at the time the bank was maintaining its 0.25 percent rate due to the extreme uncertainty of the covid19 pandemic well i don't know tiff we're not even two years away from that speech I don't know, 19 months, that didn't seem like a long time. No kidding. You know, I guess what one man's long time is a different man's 19 months. <laughs> but, uh, but we can't beat ourselves up for the decisions we made. The decisions we made were smart. And here's the biggest problem. Nobody's doing the math. People are going, oh, I could have locked in at 2.2 and now I'm at 2.5. Yeah, you would have been locking in like 12 months ago. You rode along for a whole year at 1.2. Like you saved, let's say, $6,000 on your mortgage, and now you've given back 300 
like you got there's a little more room to run before it was actually a mathematical mistake, and then you got to make it to the end of the term. Because if you trigger a penalty in a fixed rate mortgage, it's typically quite a bit different than a variable. So time will tell. A lot of wisdom here, Dustin. Thanks so much for your time. We do have, of course, our five wire, five light hearted questions to end the show. Do you have a, a couple more minutes to stick around for that? Well, let's let's see if I can answer them in, in 10 seconds or less. All right. Fire. All right. The five wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey. That sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. All right. What's one book you would recommend our listeners read? Not your own, because we would hi- will highly recommend that in the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> That's only for listeners that are thinking about becoming mortgage brokers. The one book I would recommend today, and it's a beast, I'd recommend Audio uh, Audible instead, uh, perhaps the, the book itself. When I say it's a beast, it's 552 pages. It is Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order. Why Nations Succeed and Fail, written by Ray Dalio. And if you want something a little lighter, Ray Dalio's other book, Principles. Both excellent reads, very timely, given the world as it stands on June 15th, 2022. Fantastic. You are on death row. What's your last meal? Noki and steak. Ooh. <laughs> nice. Melissa's ears perked up. Awesome. Uh, so what have you been binge watching lately or your favorite movie? I literally sold my TV and unplugged right, it. Right. <laughs> from everything. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm done with binge watching, but if I was going to go back and watch something all over again, I'd go back and rewatch The Wire. Yeah. Uh, just very quickly, I'll tell you why. The Wire speaks to me at a certain level because it literally takes each different party's viewpoint, right? So fantastic. I don't know if you guys have seen that series, but it's, have you seen that? Yeah, I, I have. And I, I agree. Yeah. It, ca- it, it somehow captures how complicated the world is in a way that most shows do not. That's for sure. One season is the cop's point of view. The next season is the drug dealer's point of view. The next season is city hall's point of view. Then you get the education department's point of view. Then you get just the regular people living in the neighborhood's point of view. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, Probably one of the all-time greatest productions, I think, to hit the screen. That, that is a good one. Now for something a little lighter, Dustin. And number four, current favorite band. Current favorite band. Well, I've actually been getting back into the Tupac. Oh. Uh, I think that's know. a trend right now. I feel like there's something going, <laughs> there's something in the air. Gnocchi and Tupac, I like it. <laughs> you know what? I do a lot of pedaling these days, and there's something about... Uh, geek out and i'm going to say the iambic pentameter uh, for the, the the fellow music nerds out there there's just something about the beat that right. just i don't know yeah it's a, good, it's a good it's good climbing tunes love it all right last question what's something you've purchased for under fifteen hundred dollars that has changed your life in the past few years under fifteen hundred okay so that's that's not my e-bike which definitely changed my life um 
Oh, you're on an e-bike now. Interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I got to have a motor involved somewhere. That just that just makes life more fun. Um, you know what? Under under fifteen hundred, uh, that changed my life is my Black Home Whistler Seasons Pass uh, that I've bought two years in a row now. Uh, after a hiatus of basically skiing one day a year for close to twenty five years, uh, suddenly I'm back at forty three days. Eased up to thirty three days this past season, but I'm going to push for that fifty day season next year. And I did just buy my seasons pass for next season. And that has definitely changed my life for the better. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. Can't believe I stopped going up there. It's uh yeah. Anybody who's listening, who's only skied once a year, like me for a number of years, do yourself a favor, at least get an edge card, force yourself to get up there 10 times or something. It's just phenomenal. And it is like riding a bike. You do not forget how to do it. I got to say, Dustin, it sounds like you're living your best life right now. Uh, so it's great to hear that things are going well. Yeah, something to aspire to getting up more than four or five times a, a year for sure. How can people find out more about what you're doing? I know you, we, well, most listeners will know you put out tons of awesome content all the time. How can people find out more about that and what you're doing over at Mortgage Architects? Um, yeah, I, you know, hey, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of an open book. Facebook profile, my LinkedIn profile, all those things are, are, are wide open. And um, yeah, there's the, the podcast uh, that you guys have been on before as well. I think it's on Apple as the 9am club. It was business brokering, but yeah, that's mainly geared towards mortgage brokers. I don't think uh, the average listener would probably find that that interesting. But yeah, I'm, I'm not hard to find. Tap my name into Google and there's 32 different things I've done that pop up that connect you to me somehow. Fantastic. Well, as always, great conversation. Thanks for your time, Dustin. And hopefully we'll have you back soon. Awesome. Thanks, Dustin. That was great. <laughs> Appreciate it. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Dustin Woodhouse, president of Mortgage Architects. Yeah, that was a great conversation, Matt. Dustin really breaks down the facts behind all of the headlines. I think that's it. That's why we had Dustin. I mean, you want to have Dustin on the show, I'd say every six months, because he just has a lot to say about the market at any given time and a lot of really smart things. But today in particular, when the Fed raised their interest rate, 75 basis points, I think there's a lot of people out there that are really nervous. And Dustin did a really good job using basic math to say, okay, what are these situations? What is the worst case scenarios? What does that look like? Where are we actually at? And and why should everyone just take a deep breath and relax and keep calm and carry on? Absolutely. And maybe sell your television while you're at it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what else do we have before we cut for the day, Melissa? We have our website where all things real estate related live, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for things like the Livewire. This is our weekly mailer where you get stats before anyone else, updated shows, transcripts, deal of the month, VIP access for residential and commercial projects. There's tons of interesting residential uh, projects right now with some interesting incentives. Um, I'm just thinking of a couple. Hugh, Port Moody. Yeah, we've got the Grant. The Grant on the Nimo, and a couple others. Elmwood and Burquitlam's coming up. There's no reason why you don't want to be on the live wire. We also have private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using private client services, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market, 
You basically get realtor-level information, and in today's market, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. I like that, Melissa. I was going to give you a B plus, but then that flourish at the end, I think that's an A. (laughs) Adam might be out of a job. If you want to talk about that or anything else, give me a call at 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And you can find me at 778-869-4477 or melissa at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also, of course, have that Kokomo line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. So everybody have a great week. We'll be back next week. And we have tons of actually really great guests coming up. So stay tuned and we'll be back next Thursday. I'm going to go for some gnocchi. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Thank you.